Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Perkins, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined tonight by Bill Zimmerman of Bears Banter. We are covering the recap of the Bears' unfortunate overtime loss to the Saints, covering for Robert this week. Bill, welcome to Bears Over Beers. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. We've been trying to do this for a while. Sounded like a good time to do it. We're going to give EJ the week off. He can concentrate on his bootleg responsibilities, but you and I are going to talk about this unfortunate loss here. The Bears lose in overtime 26 to 23. They fall to five and three on the year. And unfortunately, on a day where the Packers also lost, Bears were in first place for a couple hours, but unfortunately took a hard loss here. So we're going to go through a few things that stuck out to us in this recap. I can't think of another place that I just feel like I have to start with you on this than uh, Javon Wims, but we are going to talk about our beers first because... Because uh, we need to drink? We need to drink. So <laughs> before before we get into the specifics, I need to I need to crack this beer because I I picked the highest alcohol by volume that I had because <laughs> I feel like I need it. This is a Blonde Fatale from a local brewery here called Peachtree. Uh, it's like a 10 point beer. So um, I just, I felt like I needed something heavy. What about you? What do you got? So I'm going with a Brooklyn Brown Ale. I'm, I'm a fan of the Brooklyn Brooklyn Ales uh, out here. I, I, I live in New York on a, if people don't know, I'm, I'm in New York for my job. So I'm a transplanted Chicago and I get the Brooklyn's whenever I can. The Brooklyn Brown Ale, it's usually, I think it goes great with, with red meat steaks specifically. It pairs really well with those, but uh for this case, it's only about five and a half, yeah, five and a half uh, percent on the alcohol. So you're, you're you're drinking at about a two to one clip on the alcohol for me. So you can drink I'll two be, of them <laughs> if you need to. I'm gonna have to. <laughs> All right, <laughs> we'll get them going. There we go. I I also needed to clear this out of my fridge because you know daylight savings time. Having blonde ales in my in my refrigerator just doesn't seem to make any sense. We gotta we gotta do a little house cleaning here still. For those that are not Iowans, which I would assume most people listening are not Iowans, are not familiar with this brewery, if you do happen to find yourself driving across Iowa and you get sick of just looking at corn, pull off, go to a go to a beer shop, and pick up a six-pack of this. This is probably the best beer in the state. Oh, that is a heck of an endorsement now. I'll, cheers to that. There's a little, little to toast. <laughs> All right. Now, got the first sip in, so let's get into this rundown. So, what the heck happened with Javon Wims and kind of hauling off and hitting one of the Saints cornerbacks after the play was over away from the play. Uh, looked like maybe a little extracurricular on the play before with, with Anthony Miller, but what happened there? Did you see anything? And let's talk about this from like, where is, does Javon Wim stand on this team from here? I think that's the best question that you asked right there. What does this mean? Nagy said it afterwards, after the game in his press conference said he was really bothered by that. And it was, it was Gardner Johnson, the Saint, Saint defensive back you're talking about, and yeah, got into it a little bit with with Miller. So, you know, you saw a lot of Bears fans on Twitter and everything defending Wims and saying, "Oh, he's sticking up for his teammate." And all that 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 was a garbage, garbage play. And I, I get that that frustrations and, and and tempers can run hot. You cannot. I mean, he just he hit a guy. You you cannot do that. Get if you if you don't like what he did to Miller get in his face, make him push you, get the 15-yard penalty, that's fine. I have no problem with guys six sticking up for their guys. You don't go around and hit a guy. In fact, if you go back and watch it from, from a kind of further back, you'll see Mooney, who was right there, just kind of looked over his shoulder, was like kind of like, oh, God. Like, I don't know what Wims was thinking. 
I get the idea of fans want to say, oh, he's sticking up for his teammate. No, that's not how you stick up for your teammate. What that was was stupid. That put the offense behind the eight ball that cannot get behind the eight ball. They're not good enough to get around the eight ball when they're back there. And to me, this is the type type of thing that if Javon Wims isn't on this team a week from week from today, because Matt Nagy doesn't like that and doesn't want that around, I fully support that happening. 100%. I think that the thing that I like about Matt Nagy, we've talked about this a lot with, with me and EJ, is that I think he's a good head coach. Now we can talk about the play calling issues and his offensive issues all day, but I think as a head coach, as a leader, as a builder of culture, that he is a good head coach for this team. This is a real crisis moment in my mind because you have this very easy example to make out of a player to say, this is unacceptable, zero tolerance for something like this. Not only was it stupid from a, a football standpoint for putting, like you said, putting your team behind the eight ball, that they don't need those penalty yards, but it's really stupid and just like an actual fight situation. I, you know, way back, I put this on Twitter way back in the day when I played. I, this happened to me. I, some guy was getting frustrated and he just hauled off and started started hitting me in the face. I just raised my hands in the air. Like, what are you doing? I can't feel that. Like you punching me with my helmet on. I can't feel that. That, that. that doesn't do anything to me physically. So it's just a really dumb thing to do anyway, but you're going to do that and you're going to cost your team. I think the game was tied or the bears were maybe down three at that point. I mean, this was, this was a close game at this point. What are you doing? And so to me, Javon Wims, look, we, we, we liked, we liked Javon Wims up until that moment, to be honest with you, but he has not done enough on the field for you to start making that like, well, whatever, this is, this is a perfect opportunity in my opinion for Matt Nagy to say, no, we don't accept that in this, in this room and we're going to cut you. Yeah. Because, and, and like you said, they were knotted up at 13 at the time. This is early in the, in the, in the third quarter or, midway through the third quarter, exactly where, wherever it was, but it was third quarter game was tied. And what happens because it's second and 20 instead of second and five, Nick Foles tries to do too much with the football gets intercepted. And that turns around and the saints kick the field goal and it goes 16, 13. I know you can't say that it wouldn't have been 16, 13 without whims, but the bottom line is that whims play led to points for the Saints because it put Nick Foles in a position to try and be better than he actually is. It's an unacceptable thing. Like you said, and I know EJ said it, you got to, I know Matt Nagy is, is highly criticized for a lot of things. And, and there's, there's some criticism I think is unfair, but there's plenty of criticism I think is fair, but Matt Nagy has built a great culture and you cannot have this type of behavior on the football field that puts this team in, in a more difficult position to try and beat a very good Saints team. This isn't as good as the Saints teams from a couple of years ago, but this is still a very good team. They had a very good half. They let it kind of dri- dribble away there at the end of the first half. They had an opportunity here to try and get some points, at least get, get s- sustained a little time and, and chew some clock and, and, and get control of this football game again. And that whims play is really the play that let things spiral out of control to put the Bears in a position where they had to try and come back again in the fourth quarter. I absolutely agree. And it's going to be a big story, I think, this week until, you know, we hear exactly what the decision is. I'm sure Nagy will probably touch base with Ryan Pace and they'll, they'll kind of figure it out from there. But let's get into a couple more things about the actual game and not this extracurricular crap that I'm sure we're going to have to talk about more and more. But I wanted to start with the offensive line. As a fellow former offensive lineman, <laughs> I think that there's no better way to start than – 
with this offensive line. So you're coming into this. Obviously, Daniels is out for the year. Cody Whitehair is missing, I think, his first start in his professional career. And then early on in this game, Bobby Massey goes down. And so you have three <laughs> backup offensive linemen. Uh, you know, you've got Spriggs that comes in. At some point, Spriggs missed the play. So, so you had the backup uh, to the back. You had Bars come in and left guard and, and Coward ca- uh, kicked out. Now, to me, I thought that Spriggs is not a guy that you're going to want to count on long term. So hopefully we find out that Bobby Massey's OK. Uh, but Coward continued to me to stick out at like an absolute sore thumb, absolute terrible reps uh, throughout the game. I think, you know, you could probably pick out a couple in every quarter where they're just, they're just really bad reps. This is not a guy that I think the bears can get through the season with. I completely agree. And that's, that's the one I love the Rashad coward project that this was a few years ago. They, they, they saw something, Harry, he stand Maggie, they saw something in the guy, thought he'd be better offensive lineman. There was an undrafted defensive player. And, you know, so, and then when they make, let him make the 53 and didn't stash him on the practice squad a couple of years ago, you sit there and go, all right, they really see something. They're afraid he's going to get picked off. They, you know, this, this struck me as big cat Williams, who was, a, you know, a, you know, if, if everyone remembers him, he was a defensive player. It, it wasn't going to work. They converted an offensive line. It took a couple of years and he developed a new one excellent right tackle and I was really hoping this is where Coward was going to go but the bottom line here is this project has not worked it's been a long enough stretch where he is without question the worst offensive lineman on the football field and and here's the thing bring in Sam Mustafer, bring in uh, Spriggs he's still the worst offensive lineman on the football field. Yeah. I mean, Sam Mustafer, now, now again, I haven't had a chance to go back and watch the full game, but from when I was paying attention to the offensive line, which I do regularly, Mustafer had a much, I'm not saying he's amazing, but Mustafer had a much better game than Coward at this point. Coward's missing basic stunts. He's, I mean, you, you, every time you see a, a running play, he's the one who's chasing after his guy, his guy, I swear his guy's making the tackle on, on Montgomery or at least the first hit on Montgomery all the time even if the play's not going that way, he is not working at left guard. I don't know how they haven't addressed it at this point. I'd like, I understand when Alex Barris came in against Tampa because Coward hadn't had left side reps yet. He got destroyed by Vita Vea right off the gate. But at this point you have to go back to bars and they have to, have to, have to trade. I'm not saying they have to trade for, for a, a, you know, a top tier guard and give up a first or second round pick. But they need to find a veteran off a bad team that has an eatable contract and bring him in because the offensive line, I'm not saying the offensive line was great today. It it, it wasn't, but it was improved. The the other four guys played better. And I mean, Montgomery had, had, had a few, few decent games. He had the one big game. Foles had some time. I'm not saying this is the, uh, the offensive line's performance was good enough, but if you put someone in for coward, who's decent, I think the offensive line has an opportunity to be okay enough where maybe this offense can get going, but it cannot happen with Coward on the field. Now you're in New York. Do you think that Zeitler is available? Uh, from what I've heard, he is available. Um, I, I think that's obviously a place that, that they can go. I'm not sure exactly what his contract is. I think he's got a couple of years left. So that if they trade for him, there might be a couple million dead if they don't decide to keep him around the next year. But look, that's that's a guy who's obviously an upgrade from Coward. I, I really don't want him to, to get a guy off the street. You know, if there's a guard that hasn't been signed at this point in the season, there's 
probably a reason. You know, Quentin Spain seemed like the kind of guy that they, they could maybe go after. The, Bengal, the Bengals right. went after him. You know, I, I don't know what the reason was there. He's got some, you know, some zone blocking scheme experience as well. I'm not sure exactly what happened there. I don't know why that wasn't pursued, but they have to understand that the interior offensive line is, isn't cutting it at this point. I assume Whitehair is going to be back soon because he was questionable for a while before he, he finally wasn't, wasn't able to go. But at this point, if they don't make any moves and Whitehair can play next week, I think you have to play Whitehair left guard and, let, and leave Mustafa out there. You, you have to get Coward off the field. You have to. I think that makes a lot of sense. I was going to say the other guy in my mind is Alex Mack, who's 35. It's on the last year of his deal in uh, in Atlanta. I, they they drafted a center, Bat Hennessy. So it wouldn't surprise me if Atlanta's looking to maybe flip and get a little bit of draft capital. But that's that's kind of the big name that's I'd out there. I'd go for Mack, sure. Yeah, and then you can slide Whitehair over uh, into guard. And to be quite honest with you, Whitehair, you know, we've been thinking maybe Whitehair's been hiding an injury because I don't think he has given – very good reps at center. I mean, it's the least of our concerns when it can, you know, <laughs> relative to coward, but you know, why here, I think has, has struggled a bit at center this year. And I, I, to me, he just, he really fits in at guard anyway. So I would love it if, if that's, that's the situation. Cause I'd like to see him back at guard. I know you don't want to flip guys all the time, but in, in my mind, he's just a natural guard. And I think he would be better suited there. So I, I think, I think you're right. I think I'm going to agree with you in that Let's go back and look at the reps of uh, Mustafer. Is that how we say it? Um, That's how I say it. <laughs> and and let, let's let's see, you know, if it if the the rewatch confirms, or if it was just Coward was just sticking out because he was just you know so much worse relative uh, to the rest of it. But I, I saw the same thing in live time that I thought, yeah, this guy's actually sticking pretty well uh, for his first start at center. So yeah, and and when he was in the week before, look, he he doesn't have a lot of leg drive from what I can see. He gets pushed backwards a lot. I'm not I'm not saying Mustafer's some long term plan but he seems to stick on his blocks a little bit. So even if he's not driving guys and moving and, and, and going, you know, pushing his guys the direction they need to go, at least the guys are occupied, you know, with coward, right. they're not occupied. And if they are like in, in pass protection, he's getting pushed into Foles' lap and you got to let Foles step into some throws sometimes. And he's just not doing it. And a lot of the problem is because coward's there and he's got to step off his back foot. And look, Trubisky had the same problems when, you know, in, in, in when the offensive line wasn't giving him enough time. So, so for me, I think it's a major problem. You know, Olin Krutz, when he was on my podcast earlier this year, said, you know, James Daniels needs to move to center. He's not alone in that. A lot of people think James Daniels is moving to center or, or should move to center. So let's let's use this opportunity to set this up. Let's let's get a center. Let's get Alex Mack. Keep Mustafer in, whatever, whatever it needs to be. Let Whitehair move to left guard so he can play there when he's healthy, get Coward to the bench, and then next year – Maybe that's the year when Daniels is healthy. Again, you put Daniels at center and, and, and white hair at left guard, because that that's a move that really seems like it, it needs to happen. And, you know, we, you, you'll have an entire off season to do it. Yeah. I, we'll, we'll put a bow on this with the offensive line talk is, you know, again, two offensive linemen talking, uh, we could, we could probably keep going here, but <laughs> I, I think uh, with, with a young guy like that, it did uh, Mustafer I'm speaking of, it, it looked like he had some good technique, but he probably didn't have enough strength or enough ballast to probably hold himself up. Daniel sure looks like that pro nutrition program has really helped him. He's really grown, you know, just his frame out and he looks like, you know, he could, you know, he looks like he could play any of those three interior offensive line positions. But to me, he's the most talented of the bunch. 
And I think I would like to see him at pivot because Kirk Ferentz, again, I'm in Iowa. I grew up a Hawkeye fan. Kirk Ferentz says, okay. this is the best center prospect I've ever uh, scouted. And, and so if Kirk Ferentz says that you, you listen. Absolutely. Right. And the only reason why he wasn't playing center was because he wasn't, you know, picking up the the line calls as well as Whitehair was. And you had Trubisky who couldn't make the line calls. And so you said, okay, we'll just stick with him at guard. Well, that's not, Trubisky's not your future. And so you don't, you don't need to make that call anymore. You can, you can now, uh, wind him back so all right let's let's move on off of offensive line play hopefully you stuck with us let's talk about nick Foles, the fuller coaster <laughs> look he's he's made his fair share of mistakes in this game but you know he ate some sacks that i think you know you, you got to get that ball out of your hands but let's give him some credit he keeps his composure he really it, it seems like he forgets about the bad throws he forgets about the bad reps and he comes back and he's able to make some plays and he was able to bring the bears back and tie this game late and so let you know what did what was your impression about nick Foles as uh just his performance in this one and you know did anything come off and impress you with this start or is it just like this is too up and down for me yeah it, it's still too up and down i mean look you, know, you you have to, there's things you can like about Nick Foles and, and I'll get into them, but my overall thinking here is the Bears quarterback room is, is horrendous. I mean, yeah. we're going to start right there and we're not going to sugarcoat it. This is a bad quarterback room. Now for giving the Bears some credit with Nick Foles, because a lot of people did not want Nick Foles to be the guy they picked. If you look at a lot of the other quarterbacks out there and, you know, Tom Brady aside, you know, Cam Newton has not, has not done well in, in New England. You know, there's, there's plenty of guys that have struggled. Andy Dalton, who, you know, was a, was a lot of people were targeting, did not look good in the short amount of time he's been on the field for Dallas, you know, Winston sitting on the bench, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there wasn't a lot of guys that really have got a lot of traction. Teddy Bridgewater has been pretty good. You know, we, we, you know, Rivers is who he is at this point. Brady's had, you know, some, you know, struggling early, but looks very good right now. So Foles wasn't the worst option in the world. But what I've realized about Nick Foles is without question in my mind, Nick Foles is the best in the NFL. He is the best backup quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. The problem is, is he's the Bears starting quarterback. And that, that does not mean I want Mitch Trubisky to start because Mitch Trubisky to me is also a backup quarterback at level NFL and Foles is the better choice. I understand some people would say the offense was better with Trubisky. To me, that's just a reaction of playing the giants and playing Detroit, Detroit. Yep. who Mitch always goes crazy with because Patricia refuses to throw zone at Trubisky for some reason. And no one understands why he sticks with man to man, which is the only defense Mitch, Mitch can be. So put all that aside, the offense to me is better with Nick Foles but Nick Foles, the inconsistency on that arm is just maddening because he can throw a pretty deep ball to, to, to Mooney and then turn around and float a ball. You know, Graham had a couple drops and everything, but there's so much inconsistency with the arm. It just, it's just maddening and it's not going to get any better. We know who Nick Foles is. We've seen this Nick Foles for years. Yes, he can go on a heater and he's going to go on a heater at some point and throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns. And we're all going to say, oh, here's Nick Foles. And then the next week, he's going to throw for 180 with two picks. So this is who Nick Foles is. The Bears quarterback room is bad. And because of that, the offense is going to continue to struggle. And, then, you know, I thought the offense was obviously better than it was against the Rams, but it's still not up to speed. 
You know, I, I was sitting on the couch watching this game and I turned to my wife. I mean, I was, you know, kind of bitching a little bit, yelling a little bit. And, you know, it's some of the ridiculous things I saw. And at one point I go, damn you, Ryan Pace, for making me have to cheer for these quarterbacks. <laughs> I, just, I was just so frustrated with what I was seeing. And, and obviously, you know, the, it brought all the way back, but wasn't able to do it in overtime. And it's just this, uh, it was a really impressive encapsulation of what the fuller coaster experience is here. Uh, let, I'm going to, I'm going to skip down to my agenda a little bit. Cause I, let's just stick to offense because I actually thought that this was the most complete game by wide receivers, you know, not named Javon Wims. I thought Robinson looked good, but he did not get peppered with like 30 targets. And I thought Miller minus the one drop, I thought he looked good. And then I thought Darnell Mooney looked good. And so to me, this was like the best performance by the wide receivers that we've seen this year. But on the other hand, the tight ends looked terrible. And I do not think that Jimmy Graham should be on the field between the twenties, just keep him as like a red zone. Cause he clearly can't block. And then anything that he's running in routes right now, just looks, everything's rounded and it just looks terrible. And I, maybe, maybe on a third down he's, he's useful, but I was, you know, alternately that's what this game was. I was encouraged by what I saw from some of the receivers, but I was just kind of just disappointed and disgusted by the tight ends. What did you see? I think, I think you, you encapsulated it really well. And I'll throw in that David Montgomery looked better running the football. It kind of looked like he was actually following the scheme a little bit more. You know, we, we keep seeing David Montgomery just wanting to bust everything inside, everything inside. Like David, you're, this is an outside zone scheme here. You got to follow your blocks. And a lot of times he just, he just loves running behind Cody Whitehair every time he has a chance, but I thought Montgomery looked better. And I think you're right. The receivers, the top three receivers for the bears look better. And if the tight ends, had played better here, that might've been the difference in the game. I'm not saying the tight ends lost the game for them, but you're right. Jimmy Graham doesn't have it in between the twenties. He's not a good blocker. And we sit here and come back to Cole Komet. Why isn't Cole Komet getting targets? Why isn't Cole Komet on the field? What, you know, we hear Matt Nagy saying it, you know, oh, we want to get Cole involved. We want to get Cole involved. And he's not getting Cole involved. Is this just flat Matt Nagy not utilizing a guy or does Cole Komet not have the playbook down is he limited is he only kind of getting involved early because they're scripted plays and it's it's what he can handle and in in the heat of the game he cannot be out there i'm not sure what the situation is with cole Komet, but he's not getting involved in the offense and, and they're leaving jimmy graham out there and you're right jimmy graham you just i i don't something's missing from him from 20 to 20 but he is a great target you know yeah, maybe it's you, you expand it and you do third towns, you know, key, key plays from the 20 to 20 and and, and obviously goal line and, and red zone situations where he can, can be a weapon. You utilize them there. But there's something missing out of this tight end room. I'm not sure what's going on because we're not in practices. We can't see it. But why isn't Cole Komet on the field? Why isn't Cole Komet getting involved? It, it's a question that we need an answer to because. Like you said, with the receivers playing better, if you can have, you know, three wide receiver sets with Montgomery and Comet out there, and then every once in a while go to 12 personnel and bring Graham in and, and put Miller to the bench or whatever you need to do, it looks like you can have some consistent personnel out on offense and, and have some guys that, that maybe can make some plays and actually push the ball down the field. But until we see the complete package, there's still going to be just giant holes with the with with either the receivers or the tight ends, it's just it's just not coming around at the skill positions. 
And just to drive this point home, I'm looking, I'm looking right now at the target share. So Allen Robinson, seven targets. He caught six of them, 87 yards and a score. Beautiful score, by the way. God, Allen Robinson is just and what a catch. Miller, 11 targets. So he actually led the team in targets. Eight catches, led the team in catches, 73 yards. Mooney, six targets, five catches for 69 yards. And then you look at the tight ends. Jimmy Graham. I want to guess how many targets Jimmy Graham had. Four, five? Seven targets. Wow. He turned seven targets into two catches for 13 yards. And, and two two flat-out drops. Balls yes. that were basically in the breadbasket. And Cole Komet, one target, one catch for two yards. And, so, and you know, and I understand everyone said that off that the forward momentum was stopped. And yeah, that was probably the right call, but almost gave the game away there with that very fumble. close to ending that game with that fumble. Absolutely. So I could, I mean, having Miller lead the team in targets, that's probably a little bit of anomaly. But if you flip that with, you know, Robinson's generally going to lead the team in targets, but that's a pretty good target share between those three wide receivers. I can, I like that going forward. I don't need uh, Allen Robinson to have 20 targets a game. So I can live with that going forward if all three could produce, but seven targets to Jimmy Graham in the middle of the field is they're wasted targets. And I think that really showed out here and Cole Komet, why not have Cole Komet get those targets? I think that's the, that's the point between the twenties. Again, keep, keep Graham on ice uh, between the twenties, bring him in in the red zone and let Cole Komet try to try to, you know, let's see if that, what this kid has. And so let's get him out there between the twenties and, and give him those targets. Yeah. I, I really want to know what's going on with Komet and, I actually talked to a, a former tight end in the league and he told me, cause I was giving Komet a lot of hard, a hard time on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. And, and I was frustrated because he's just not getting involved and, and he, his play has improved, you know, the last couple of weeks before this, before this game. And, but, but the tight end I was speaking with said, look, you got to give Komet a break. This guy didn't have true OTAs. He didn't have preseason games. Rookie tight ends struggle enough as it is. This guy came in, he's young, he's, he's younger than most rookies are at this point, and he had basically no offseason and, and really no full training camp with preseason games to get his feet wet. So where most rookie tight, end, tight ends are in week one, he was saying that, you know, Komet hadn't gotten there till week four, week five. So you had to, you know, give him a little slack. I thought that was fair, but again, why isn't he on the field? There has to be a reason. I understand people want to say because Matt Nagy's an idiot, Matt Nagy's not that stupid. They're going to put the best players out on the field. At least, you know, he moves personnel around that much and all that, 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 that's fine. That's fair. But how do Cole Komet and Ryan Nall have the same amount of targets, same amount of catches and same amount of yards in the same game? It doesn't make any sense. I can't figure it out. No, I can't either. Even as an Oregon state grad myself, I, I, you know, I, I love, I love, you know, boosting Ryan Dahl, but even I can't defend why he's got as many targets as Cole Komet. So, all right. I want to talk about the defense before we do, we're going to take a quick break. Let somebody else pay for these beers. All right, Bill, we're back. So talking with Bill Zimmerman here, uh, recapping this uh, tough bears loss in overtime. I want to talk about a defense, just a couple of things about this defense that I think stuck out to me. Uh, overall, obviously, I think that they played pretty well for the most part, but there was a couple of chances that Breeze gave them late. There was that out route that uh, I, th- I think Jared Cook and Roquan was in coverage, and it looked like Roquan undercut it. Could have ended the game right there. I think if he catches that ball, no one's catching Roquan Smith. Pick six. That's a pick six. Game over, right? And they stopped the Saints. They punted. Bears couldn't do anything with it. They gave it back. 
and then Eddie Jackson had a chance. I don't know that he could have run it back. You never know with Eddie Jackson with the ball in his hands. He's he's as dangerous as they come. But again, that pretty much ensures that the Bears are going to at least tie that game and they have a chance to win. So Breeze gave them not one but two chances in overtime to uh, impact that game, at least not make it a loss. Uh, again, Rokon could have won it. And I feel like this is really starting to stack up here. There, you know, the 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 Gibson play last week where he just kind of like swatted the ball down instead of going after the pick and, and and trying to score there. There and the number of fumbles in this game, I think I counted three times the ball hit the ground and it just bounced right back to the Saints. But this team is not taking the ball away and having that you know, old school bears, let's score. Uh, we need to score on the defense to, to have a chance in this one. And it's starting to concern me a little bit. Do you think that's a mentality or do you think that's, it's just random and just bad luck? I know. I, I think there's, there's something to that. And, and basically what you're talking about is what I've been talking about is the bears defensive swagger. And that swagger that they had, we love that 2018 Bears defense. We'll put it up there with the top lovey defenses. If, you go, if you're as old as me, you can go back to the, the Buddy Ryan defenses in the mid-80s. We love that defense. That defense was fun. That defense caught plays, wreaked havoc. Like, it was, it was a great defense. They, lost, they, they weren't bad in 2019. They were still a very good defense. But they didn't make those big plays. And now we move ahead to 2020. It wasn't happening early. And then – it kind of really felt like they were hitting their stride more with Tampa and Carolina and, and, and they were getting in the backfield. They were getting to the quarterback and, and you know, more tackles for losses. The, the turnovers weren't there, but you're like, all right, the turnovers are going to come if they keep this kind of fervor pitch. And, and then you get to the Rams game and they got, you know, to me, they got just run over at the line of scrimmage against the Rams. It was really frustrating to watch. And, and the defense was better here today, but they're still, you know, like those big plays, they're just, they're just off it. Uh, you know, and this has been the whole year. This isn't just this game where Roquan just missed and Eddie just missed. That keeps happening this year, whether they just clip and get a penalty, whether they're a split second late, that keeps happening. And to compound it more, the defensive front today did not get to Breeze. Breeze had, you know, Breeze gets rid of the ball pretty quick now, but when Breeze did hold on to the football, he rarely was pressured. That was not a good performance up front by this defense. And it's, you know, Pagano doesn't want to bring a lot of pressure, even though that's what he used to do, because I think he feels he can get home with those four, but he's not getting home enough. And, you know, we've seen opportunities where they have, like I said, against Tampa, for for example, but overall, I'm just not seeing the amount of pressure. And, And even when they do have the pressure, they're not giving enough pressure where they're causing havoc and, and causing quarterbacks to make bad plays. You know, there's pressure from one of the guys and then they can sidestep, move up in the pocket maneuver, and they can still get a full throw off. Even though that counts as a pressure, it's not, it's not negatively impacting the play. So there is the defense is a little off. I'm not going to sit there and blame the defense because it's still obviously the strongest point of this team, but the defense isn't at the point where I want to see it. And that's a really high bar. And some people will say that's unfair that I put the defensive bar that high. But that's where I set it, and I have not seen them reach that enough this season. I think you're right, and I think what it comes down to is there's a little bit of undisciplined rushing. They're not rushing as a t- as a team, and they're not like 
keeping to their responsibility. It seems like a lot of kind of lone wolfing it. Like they're, they're kind of going after uh, in their own lanes because when you got a quarterback that is escaping so often, and it's not just like one quarterback, it's been all of the quarterbacks are able to step up into lanes that are opened up. That to me says that, you know, you've got guys that aren't rushing as a unit. And, and, and to me, that's, that's really what we're seeing here. I'm, I, I just want to point out one good thing which was that Khalil Mack rushed where he pushed Ramchek right back into Breeze and Breeze lost the ball. And the broadcast team just kind of like completely didn't understand what happened. Even on the replay, they were like, oh, and Andres Pete got pushed back. And it was like, no, Mack, and Mack got credited with the sack, at least from what I saw on the stats. So that's good. But that's an incredible power rush there to be able to collapse that pocket by Mac and be able to push Ramchek. who has got to be what, like 330, maybe 350. I mean, I don't even know a big guy, but but he just, it continually impresses me with that speed to power where he's able to absolutely just bull rush a giant human being and push him back. And we've seen a lot of this this year with Mac and with Akeem Hicks using offensive linemen as projectiles to make (laughs) plays. And so that, that's, I just wanted to make sure that, we, you know, I don't want to be Debbie Downer on the whole thing because, you know, there's still some really amazing athletic feats that are happening and it's still a joy to watch these guys. But um, well, if you're going to st- talk about positives, let's talk about Roquan Smith too. Yeah, absolutely. Roquan Smith had an absolutely phenomenal game. He was sticky in coverage. He was coming up, had a couple tackles for losses. He wrapped up Kamara, which was great because we've seen some opportunities where guys have spun out of his tackle and he's tried to arm tackle and it hasn't worked but he, he made a lot of good plays today. He's putting together an excellent season. I would, I would say he's on pace right now to have his best season as a pro. And that's great because while Roquan's been good, he hasn't been worthy of his draft pick yet. And right now he's stepping up to being the type of inside backer you need to take him in a top 10 position. And, and that's he's, he's going to be the glue of this defense. And we're really starting to see it. Yeah, and it's not fair for any young player to be like, okay, you, we selected you so that you will be Luke Keekley. Like you're going to come in and you are going to be uh, the best coverage linebacker in the league. But that's really what you're saying when you're drafting an inside linebacker in the top 10 is you're saying like, you know, your bar, you know, we got to get you up here uh, to that, to that top level. And I, I think he has stepped up and that's been a really good development. Alvin Kamara did not rush the ball particularly well. And, and they, they contain Latavius Murray without any issue. He Latavius Murray, those are wasted carries. I, I don't understand why Latavius Murray's on the field for them, but whatever. <laughs> Kamara did quite well in the passing game. And so he racked up well over a hundred yards from scrimmage. The bears are going to face Derek Henry and Dalvin cook in the next two games. Those are in my opinion, outside of uh, probably McCaffrey, I'm not sure I can really name another one, but to, to me, those are three of the top Maybe five facts in the league. Yeah. I, Zeke's been terrible this year, so I don't no, know what's Dallas, wrong with Dallas. Dallas is just a mess. Yeah, they're they're they've been garbage. They no so offense. They have a Bears offensive line because all their guys are gone. all their guys are hurt. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, in the in the first part of the year, the 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 run defense was pretty bad. John Jenkins has been back. He's he's you know helped I think a little bit. Obviously, I think Urban stepped up and he's 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 provided Urban's some pretty a good nice press. Absolutely. And so um they look like they're closing that up, but do do the next two backs concern you and is that kind of the keys to beating those those two opponents that are coming up? They, well, Derrick Henry definitely concerns me. I mean, 
Because again, you can't arm tackle Derrick Henry. That needs to be gang tackling. That group needs to swarm him and they have the ability to do it. But luckily for some reason, the bears have Dalvin cook's number. That doesn't make me quite as nervous because they've had so much success on in the past, but I'll say two things about this bears run defense, which has not been good enough. And if you want to talk about Kamara being utilized in, in, in short passes and screens and doing it well, we can lump that in, in as part of the run game as well. The issue to me is we all know Eddie Goldman and how important he is to this defensive front, especially in the run game. He eats up blockers. He keeps the blockers off of Trevathan and off of Roquan so they can roam and make tackles. Obviously that's important, but look, let's talk about Leonard Floyd for a second. And I get a lot of flack when I bring up Leonard Floyd because I support Leonard Floyd. Again, did not, did not turn out to be the guy that they took with the top 10 pick. He wasn't right. that good. This guy was really good against the run. Forget, forget his pass rush. Pass yeah. rush wasn't there. He was, he was brought in to be a pass rusher. Pass rush wasn't there. He's really good against the run. He set the edge really well. He forced things back inside where Goldman and Hicks could just eat up plays. Floyd was a really good piece to this defense in terms of what he did in coverage and what he did against the run. The pass rush was lacking, and I get the move for Robert Quinn, but at this point, Quinn's not bringing enough pass rush to offset what they lost with Floyd and the other things. That's my, that's my belief. And I'm not saying Robert Quinn can't bring it the second half of this season, but he hasn't to my liking at this point and losing Floyd and Goldman this season has really exposed this team's rushing defense. And, you know, maybe Dalvin cook has a bigger game because those guys aren't, aren't out on the field. I, you know, I don't know, but Derek Henry scares the pants off me because I am just not seeing a lot of gang tackling and eating things up at the line of scrimmage. And if you give him a head of steam, I mean, that's a freight train. You know, I don't care how good Kyle Fuller is coming up and helping against the run. He's not stopping Derrick Henry one-on-one out on the 20, you know, uh, with with no one else. That's just, it's, it's a dangerous game for this Bears team to play. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned. I thought they had a better chance going into these next two games as bad as they were against the Rams. I thought they had a better chance to beat the Saints than the Titans. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I, you know, I'm going to kind of borrow a basketball term, but the the idea of being posterized, right? Where like Michael Jordan, you know, jumps over a guy and they put him on a poster and forever that guy is on this poster. It's getting jumped over by Michael Jordan. That's what happens against Derrick Henry. Is he posterized guys, right? Did it to Josh Norman. Josh Norman is now a meme. Like he is, <laughs> he is absolutely flying through the air on all of these different memes. And so uh, this is not a guy to take lightly. He has some of the craziest runs in the last, in the last few years. And he's a guy that honestly, the Titans said, no, we're building around you. We don't care that it's 2020 we're signing you and we are building around you, the running back, like it's, you know, in the 1980s. And so this is the rare guy that they do that. Well, that's, those are the big things that I wanted to highlight. And, you know, for me, if I'm just kind of wrapping up this game, you know, I'm glad that this wasn't, you know, a boat race, right? I'm glad that this was not something that we just got embarrassed off the field. Like it was last year when, when the saints played the bears, but this, this one hurt. And this one's going to be one that might come back and haunt them later. It would have been really great to get this one under the belt, because like you say, I think that they had a much better chance uh, winning the saints game than they do uh, next week in the Titans. What were kind of your final thoughts in this game? I I think you're right. I think this is one that's going to sting. And the, and the reason is when you look at these losses, they lost the Colts game. They they really they weren't getting back into that. We know they lost the Rams game. They got punished by the Rams. This was 
we haven't seen this out of the Bears this year. We all waited for it. You know, they, 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 they you know, the, the Giants game was close. The Giants had a chance. The Bears make the plays when they need to make the plays. They have to come back against the Lions. They have to come back against the Falcons. Carolina, you know, they, they moved the ball enough. They, they got the job done. We keep seeing them doing just enough to win when they're in these games. When it comes, when the fourth quarter is a coin flip at some point, the Bears do enough to win these games. And this one against the Saints, it just slipped away. You kept sitting there and saying, all right, they, they had control in the first half. They let it slip away. You know, they had the ball to start the third quarter. They couldn't do anything with it. And then Wims, you know, does what he does. And next thing you know, the Bears are down 10 again. And they have to do another comeback. And then they come back again and they get to overtime. And they got, you know, they had the ball with an opportunity. They, they just couldn't get over the hump in this game. And it wasn't just like, well, if Foles made this one play, if Montgomery just got this first down, if Miller didn't catch this, it wasn't like there was just this one play. There were several opportunities that they had. And it wasn't just one guy. It was different guys that had opportunities. The Graham drops, the Foles misfires, the, the, the dumb play by wins, the, the defense keep giving up, you know, putting the, the, Saints in a position to be able to go for it on like fourth and two when they had third and 15. There were just enough of those opportunities that the Bears let slip away. And you sit there and say, this was an opportunity against a good team at home. I know there's no crowd, so it's not quite the same home field advantage, but they had an opportunity to beat a good team at home, put away the doubt that they put in everyone's mind on national TV on Monday Night Football, and they just couldn't get it done. And now you sit there and go, all right, this is a tough Titans team. They could be five and four, three game losing streak. You just, there were so much opportunity to just kind of put a, put a stop to all this, get a win and then regroup yourself against Tennessee. And they just couldn't get it done. So yeah, you, you sit there and have concerns about what this could do to the team moving forward. Yeah. I think maybe the, the one consolation is that it just wasn't a blowout. I think that's the only thing that, you know, last week, Bears Twitter melted down and it was because the Bears absolutely got dominated and they got dominated in that Colts game, but the score didn't look like it. And so maybe people could kind of get over that, but Bears Twitter just melts down um, (laughs) things like this, which maybe that's fair. So uh, I want to, I want to wrap this up, but we, we always circle back to the beers and sounds like this is a favorite of yours that you brought on. So give you a chance to uh, talk about that again for me, blonde fatale out of peace tree, make sure that you guys check it out because it is, it's really tasty, not a lot of carbonation in it. It's definitely one to look for. If you ever find yourself across the state lines. I, I will absolutely look for that. And mine again was the Brooklyn Brown ale. Brooklyn beer is a, it's a really, it's, it's lo- locally brewed in New York and Brooklyn, obviously. And um, you know, this Brown ale to me, it's, it's smooth. It's got, you know, good hints of, 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 of caramel and it just, it, it pairs really well with beef. If you're going to take this beer, absolutely, you know, get yourself some steaks. I don't care if it's November and it's 40 degrees outside, get out to your grill, grill yourself up a couple steaks, have a couple Brooklyn Brown ales and you will not be disappointed. Well, Bill, I really appreciate you coming on. This is a lot of fun. It's actually the first time we have ever talked. And so it's fun to, to, to record that in, in real time for people, uh, fill it in for Robert. I have basically had you yelling at me you know, one-sided <laughs> conversation for a long time because occasionally on your podcast, uh, you're just in the room by yourself and you just kind of go on these uh, little soliloquies. And uh, from time to time, I'm like, I feel like Bill's yelling at me. But 
overall, you get great guests uh, and a very entertaining show. Bears Banter is great. It's a must listen. Uh, do you have anything coming up that you want to share uh, and tease out? I don't have, uh, I don't know exactly who's coming on this week. Probably going to be either Lawrence Holmes or Danny Parkins from The Score. Uh, we're just trying to settle out some schedules and see who's going to work better for this week. But, you know, I've talked to some guys. Hopefully Jim Miller will be coming on soon. Hopefully Patrick Manley will be coming on soon. Those are guys who have been on the podcast before. How I usually do my podcast, I usually go about 10, 12 minutes by myself. I just want to give my thoughts on the game and my, my kind of, you know, immediate reaction. And then I have a conversation with the guys. Let let me put the experts on the on the podcast. Let them give their opinions because you know that's that's why they're in Chicago media or they're former players and have that you know the, that that knowledge to draw from. So I, I'm not going to sit there like you say. I might get fired up and I might you know I might lose lose it sometimes. And whether that be at some 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 Twitter meat heads who are coming at me, whether that be at Matt Nagy, whether that be at Mitch Trubisky, there's there's been plenty of targets over over the years, even though I am a Nagy supporter, there are some times where you shake your head. So Bears banter will be coming up here in a, in a few days and uh, it'll definitely be dropping this week. So, so make sure you, you look for it and thank you for the plug. Yeah, absolutely. Well, follow him on Twitter. It's Zimmerman SXM uh, is the Twitter handle. If you want to follow me, that is at Gridironborn. You want to follow my co-host EJ Snyder. That's at the draftsman FB. Um, as always, we'll be coming back to you late next week with a recap of the Titans game and, and previewing that Vikings game. Uh, but until then, thanks for listening and bear down. <laughs>